0: one of my favorite passages, the call and the conversion of Levi. And tonight the plan is just to walk through these verses. The call and the conversion of Levi is told in Matthew's gospel, because Levi was Matthew. It's told in Mark's gospel, and it's told in Luke's gospel. It's an important story in the gospel narratives, and we're, we're going to consider it this evening to be reminded of great Jesus' great mission. He came into this world to call sinners to repentance. Sinners like you and me. Sinners like Levi. I want us to look at these verses under three headings. Jesus calls sinners to follow him. Jesus calls sinners to fellowship with him. Jesus calls sinners to repentance. So Jesus calls sinners to follow him. Look at what Mark says in verse 13. Jesus went out again beside the lake and all the crowd was coming to him and he He was teaching them. Jesus was at the lake in chapter 1. It's there recorded for us in verse 16 onwards. He was there calling his first disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And he's back in this familiar territory, and he's back here because he's going to be calling another man to come and follow him. Levi. It was customary for a Jewish rabbi when teaching not just to stand, but actually to be walking. In fact, one of the postures of a Jewish rabbi is that you teach people who follow behind you. And here Jesus is, we're told, a huge crowd had come to him. They're following him. He's teaching them as they walk along. And as they walk along, we read that Jesus saw Levi. That's hugely significant. Here's Jesus. He's busy in ministry, teaching the crowds. But he's also got the time to take in who is round about him. And he sees this man, Levi, sitting at his tax booth. And the reason I say that's so significant, significant is because I'm pretty convinced that not one of the Jews would have ever bothered to lift their eyes in the direction of Levi, the tax collector. In fact, they would have gone out their way to avoid looking at this man. You know, tax collectors were among the most hated in the first century by the Jews. I know today we're not fond of tax men and women, you know, the inland revenue. They're not, we're not the biggest fans of them, are we? But our disdain towards tax collectors, and sorry if you're involved in the tax field, um, our disdain towards tax collectors does not, compare to the first century hatred of the Jews towards tax collectors. They really were the worst of the worst. And one of the reasons they were so bad was because the tax collectors that were operating in Israel were often born Jews and had grown up and turned their backs on their religion and their upbringing and their family. I never know how how quite to illustrate it, but they were the ultimate traitors and turncoats because they were raising money for the invading, ruling Roman regime. It would be something akin to growing up in Holland in the 1940s and choosing to work for the Nazis. Like, you just wouldn't do it. And the reason there's such disdain to someone, I imagine, like Levi, what's well, in his name? What family did he come from? He came from a family that was of the tribe of Levi. That means that it's most likely that his dad, his granddad, his granddad, his granddad worked in the temple. Levi had one of the best upbringings. He was raised in a godly, good Jewish home where he was taught the scriptures. And then one day he decided, I'm done with it. I would rather go work for the Romans, I'd rather extort money from my own people to pay this invading regime. And one of the things that was known about tax collectors in the first century was they were, it was among the most corrupt institution that existed because they would not just extort money out of their own people for the Romans, they would extort more money out of their own people to line their own pockets. There's no one who was that day as Jesus was teaching and they were walking along the shore of the lake was going to look up at Levi, the son of Alphaeus. In one of the commentaries I read, it was said that when a Jew decided to become a tax collector, he would be immediately regarded as an outcast from society. They would excommunicate the person from the synagogue and his disgrace would extend to his entire family. I've always wondered why it says Levi, the son of Alvis. Poor Alphys and his wife and maybe his, subl- and his other sons and daughters lived with the disgrace and the shame that their brother, their beloved son, had turned his back on their Jewish upbringing. I suspect the reason they called him Levi is because his pious parents, their aspiration is one day he would become a worker in the house of God. And here he was, a worker for their enemies. Now, Jesus, however, lifts his eye to Levi. He sees him. He sees the man behind the booth. I don't know about you, but when I hear tax booth, right, I don't know why I do this, right, every time I try and visit it's in my head. You know, you know, you get yellow booths for parking attendants. <laughs> I don't know why. Every time I think of Levi, I think of this yellow parking attendant booth and there he is, lots of money, a queue of angry customers, Jews complaining. And Jesus sees him. And as Jesus sees him, he doesn't just see him for for what he is. He sees him for what he can become. He sees this man and he realizes that this man is the perfect candidate to join his ministry team, to be his friend and his follower. This notorious crook and criminal, this is the sort of man that Jesus wants with him. Now just press pause for a moment on the sermon and ask you this question. Are there people you encounter in your daily, weekly um, basis that that you avoid eye contact with? You know, people who have just become invisible to you? Like the obvious candidate would be the homeless person in the street, but, but what about in your workplace? Is, is there somebody that you had a falling out with a long time ago and you just now ignore them? You, you won't even bother to lift your eyes to look in their direction. Maybe if you're at university, maybe it's a, a group of students, so that are just not the sort of people you would want to be seen with or hang out with or even talk with. The reason I ask that is because it's often the people that we don't want to set our gaze upon. When we read the New Testament, that Jesus set his gaze upon. He set up his gaze upon this man that no Jew would have ever wanted to look at. And not only did he see him, Jesus spoke to him. And this is what he said. Follow me. And in the context of the gospels, these are the great, this is the greatest invitation he could ever be given. Come, leave your old life and begin a new life. Come, turn away from your sinful life and start following me, the savior of sinners. Here, Jesus issues this call that this man did not deserve. Here, Jesus issues a sovereign, gracious call, and the most amazing things. Happens, Levi. We read, rose and followed Jesus. You seen Mark's gospel? See when it says there, he rose. That word's been used in the previous story. The paralytic man, who was crippled, paralyzed on a mat. Jesus said to him, "I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home." And he rose. It was one thing for Jesus to showcase his power in healing a man who was a paralytic. And here it is another thing for Jesus to say to a man who was a notorious sinner, come, follow me, and he rose. Here's the power of Christ's saving grace. Everybody there that day who was listening to Jesus' teaching, even his four disciples at this point, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, who were following him, I suspect they were all shocked. I suspect they all stood there with open mouth amazement that Jesus would call this man to follow him. But it's because Jesus saw this man for who he was, a sinner who was in need of a saviour. And it's not said explicitly, but it's implied implicitly. Levi knew he was a sinner. And Levi knew he needed a saviour. And so Levi got up, and he followed Jesus. Now this is a stunning miracle in and of itself, but I think what happens next is even more stunning, especially in the context. Jesus not only called him to follow him, but Jesus went to his home and dined with him. And if you know anything about the first century, one of the biggest things you can do is have table fellowship. In in that culture, if you want to really embrace someone, if you want to really say that "I, I want to know you and love you, you'll go into their home and sit at their table. And here's Jesus having table fellowship with this notorious sinner. So here's our second point. Jesus not only calls... Uh, the sinner to him, but Jesus calls the sinner to fellowship with him. Look at verse 15. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now this This is truly scandalous. Like it was one thing that Jesus would call this man in the first place. But this is quite another thing. Jesus and his disciples, they ate with this man in his home and with all his friends. Tax collectors and sinners. So if you want to picture this party, think prostitutes. Think thieves. Think a gang of thugs. You know, the sort of people that Levi would have used to rough people up when he didn't get his money. These are all the people at this home and there is Jesus and his disciples and they're eating with them. No Jew in their right mind would ever be seen dead in such a place. They would never eat with someone whose lifestyle blasphemed the name of Yahweh. They would never eat with someone who'd been excommunicated from the synagogue. And here's Jesus, the so-called rabbi. And here he is right there in the middle of the party, reclining at the table. I don't know why Levi threw this party, but I guess it was because he was just so overjoyed with what had happened in his life. He was so (laughs) overcome at Jesus' amazing invitation. He was so overcome with the wonder of grace that he wanted all of his friends all of his colleagues to meet Jesus and experience Jesus for themselves. This party may just have just been the expression of his love and his thankfulness to Jesus. And he thought, I'm going to make the biggest occasion. I'm going to invite everybody to this party. There's nothing like the enthusiasm of a new convert. Nothing compares to the first love of a young believer for Jesus. here's Jesus, and he's he's dining with his people. Now, Jesus, by all intents and purposes, seemed very comfortable. But do you know who was really uncomfortable? The Jewish religious leaders. Verse 16, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, He said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? They're scandalized, they're shocked. they're not happy whatsoever with this. This isn't an innocent question on their part, this is an outright accusation. How dare he do this? It is interesting to note that in the passage before, the Pharisees' hostility manifested themselves manifested itself in them, thinking a thought regarding Jesus in their minds. In this passage, the Pharisees' hostility reveals itself in them asking his disciples a question. In the next passage, the the Pharisees will come right out and ask Jesus the question. But by the time we get to Mark chapter 3, the Pharisees will be planning and plotting to kill Jesus. When the Pharisees saw Jesus was eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they went ballistic. Here's a question for you. It's a silly question. What would you do if you heard tomorrow that tonight after the service I went to a party with some of the most notorious criminals in this city and I partied with prostitutes and thugs and pimps. Would it be a big scandal If I took Dick and Peter. Your pastor and your elders hanging out with sinners. Now, If that would make you uncomfortable, and I get there's reasons why it could make one uncomfortable. Perhaps that says something about you. Maybe you could think the worst. Are you uncomfortable with the fact that Jesus, the saviour of sinners, partied with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors? Because that shouldn't make you uncomfortable. That is in you getting insight to who he is and why he came. He's the saviour who came to rescue sinners. Jesus welcomed sinners. The tragedy here is the Pharisees were disgusted by sinners. If the Pharisees remind us of anyone in in, in the Old Testament, they remind us of Jonah. The, the, The Pharisees are those who get so upset because they hate it when God shows mercy to those who don't deserve it the Ninevites. In this case, the tax collectors and the sinners. But we need to see the reason Jesus came into this world is to save the sinner, is to call the sinner to repentance. And the challenge for us tonight is to see that, to believe that, and for that reality to shape us and our ministry. You know, it does always amaze me that the Christians who I often have the most non Christian friends are the youngest Christians. (laughs) And the Christians with the least non-Christian friends are the older, mature Christians. And there's an irony to that. Because the most perfect, if I can use that word, Christian, was Christ. And who did he befriend? Every single person he ever befriended was a sinner. And he loved them. And he delighted to show mercy to them. One of the things I want you, if you're here tonight and you're a Christian parent, is I want you to take real encouragement. Jesus loves to reach wayward ones. And this was a, way, this was a wayward son. This was Alpha's son. This was a son who had a great upbringing and who turned his back on it. And the good news of this story is that is that Levi's parents... Might never have been able to reach their son. He disgraced them. But Jesus reached them. Jesus called them and Jesus had fellowship with them. Jesus changed him forever. I bet you they were the proudest parents in the world when they heard the first edition of Matthew's Gospel was coming out. (laughs) The son that they taught the scriptures so well used the upbringing he had to serve the early church and the church in all centuries and generations. They prayed for him, no doubt. They wept over him. Jesus, he went after him. It's a challenge for those of us who have got friends who are not Christians. What if we are the answer to their prayers. What if there's Christian parents praying tonight, oh, I pray that you would bring a Christian across their path. And what if in Providence, God has us to befriend some Christian, who's a, some young person who's had a, a, a great upbringing, but has turned their back on it. Well, if you're going to be that instrument in God's hand, this is what you need to do. You need to see people, not for who they are, but for what they can become. Who would have looked at Levi sitting behind a tax booth and thought he could become a leader of the early church and a writer of the greatest gospel, Jesus? So how do you see the people in your life? Really from a human perspective? I'll ask God to give you his eyes so that you would see them from a spiritual and a heavenly perspective. So we've looked at the fact that Jesus calls sinners to follow him. Jesus calls sinners to fellowship with him. Finally, Jesus calls sinners to repentance. When Jesus heard the criticism of the Pharisees via his disciples, he used this as an opportunity to declare his mission. And this is what he said. Those who are well have no need Of a doctor, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Here Jesus takes the time to say that his mission in this world is to go after sinners and to call them to repentance. And I need to be clear that Jesus' statement here, he's not suggesting that there are two different types of people in this world, the righteous and sinners in this context. He's, He's speaking to these Pharisees who think of themselves as well, as righteous. The irony is, is they're far from it. They're unrighteous. They're blind to their sinfulness. But Jesus says, I've come to call those who are willing to see that they are sinners in need of a savior to turn from their sin. And to come, follow me. And what I love about Jesus is, is that this is why He came. He came for sinners. And you and I need, as Christians who've been saved by grace, need never to forget. It. We must never forget that. Jesus didn't come. Just so that we could always get together every Sunday with brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus came so that sinners could be saved so that we saved sinners would go forth and call other sinners to repentance to experience the grace that we've experienced like here's a question because of what Jesus has done in your life, would you ever throw a party like Levi? Would you ever invite all your friends round to your house and say? Tonight, I just want to introduce you to Jesus. My greatest friend, who showed me a love I didn't deserve. Now, I'm not saying every Christian is going to do that, but I ask that because that's the transformation grace delights to make in us. It changes us. It fills us with gratitude. And it should be the fuel for us to go forth and tell Jesus is the doctor who came for the sick. Our our sickness was so desperate and so serious that Jesus came to call us to salvation. And that required his suffering. He had to shed his blood. He had to die in our place on the cross. He had to take in himself the wrath that we deserved. He came to do that so that you and I could be made well. And as those who've been made well, what are we doing? Where are we going? Are we following in Jesus' footsteps? Are we looking and seeing the people he sees. You know, one of the, the things that, that I love about this story of Levi, I think it's the favorite thing about it, is that, see, if you looked at Levi outwardly speaking, you'd have never thought that he would have got up and followed Jesus. Like, just think about it. He'd, he'd money, he clearly had tons of friends. Like, he was the enemy, I suspect, not just of all the Jews in that area, but of Peter, James, John, and Andrew. He most likely was their tax man. Where did Jesus call these men? There at the shore. Where did Jesus call Levi? There at the shore. And and the most fascinating thing is, outwardly, you'd have thought, Levi's the last person on earth that's going to come to Christ. And yet when Christ called him, follow me, he got up and he left. You know, some of the people, sometimes I've said this as a Christian myself, I could well see that person become a Christian. And it shames me to say this, but so often when I see that statement, I'm thinking of a good living, upstanding individual. Why is it? It never crosses my mind to say of the notorious sinner. I'd love to think of them as a Christian, of what they could become. And sometimes it's the people we least expect that God's actually at work And all it would take is a gospel call and a gospel presentation. And they would rise up. They don't want to be living in their life of sin anymore. They've tried it. They've exhausted it. They're empty. And they're desperate for the healing medicine of the gospel. One of the greatest incentives and one of the greatest encouragements to go and share the gospel is that there are lots of Levi's out there. Lots of people who are longing to hear the gospels to call them. And one of the greatest obligations that's on us as God's people who've experienced the medicine of the gospel ourselves is to be those who are going to go and share it. You know the final thing I want to say about this passage? This meal that took place that day, it was a tiny foretaste of the meal that is to come. You know when we get to heaven and we hear people's testimony Says in Ephesians that for the ages that are to come, we will praise God for the riches of his grace. And I suspect that will be as we hear how God brought people to himself. When we get to heaven, it will be hearing testimony after testimony of how Jesus saved sinner after sinner. And so may we go forth longing for the feast that is to come where Jesus the friend of sinners will oh, feast with us, sinners who've been made saints. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that your word is given for our equipping. And Father, we confess that sometimes we forget how amazing grace is, how amazing is the love you have shown to us that we do not deserve. God, we are, we are sorry when we become stuck, satisfied, stagnant Christians. We're sorry that the joy of our salvation does not lead us to want to go forth and proclaim. And yet we live in a city where there are so many people who are perhaps at the end of themselves. who perhaps have parents at home praying for them. That God would bring a Christian along their path. God, as we go into this week that lies in front of us, we pray that you would give us eyes to see people as you see them. Give us eyes to see what people can become. Lord, as we look at our own life, some of us, we can see that there was a point where perhaps no one would have looked at us and thought we could become sons and daughters of the Most High God, changed and transformed by the gospel of grace. And so we pray that as we go from here, we would go with eyes open to those who perhaps have been blind in the past, and we would go with tongues loosened, ready to make known the good news of Christ. And it's in his name we pray this. Amen.